Okay, we're gonna go to, how do I get to the next? Here we go. We are moving on to the next section of the book of Romans also. So moving from righteousness being declared and righteousness being defended, this is the sanctification. So, um, and the next three chapters are under that. So we're shifting from justification and identification in Christ to sanctification. So becoming more like Christ. Um, we are chapter six. I really title it. This is our freedom from sin that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. That's his final kind of, um, example or word picture for us to understand that. And then next week is freedom from the law, chapter seven. And then chapter eight is the security of the Holy Spirit. So, um, the, and all of these things are how God sanctifies us and makes us more holy um, to be more like him. So that is our shift where we're going to. So let's read. We're, gonna, we're breaking up this chapter into two sections. Um, Romans, we're going to do one, Romans 6, 1 through 14 together. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into, into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been unified, or if we have been united with him in his death, like the, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that, our body, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For, death, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> let us not sin there let us not sin therefore let not sin therefore reign in our in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been the, as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So, it's a lot of, there's a lot of different examples there. He kind of repeats himself in two different ways. Um, and so I wanted to break down these sections just so we can have an understanding of where we're going. Um, he starts with his question. Remember, mm -hmm. in the end of chapter 5, he says, 
All right. So this is this is because we want grace is going to reign in righteousness. And so he's like we're he's setting it up to the next question, next relevant question that should be asked would be so should we just continue to sin so that we can have more grace? And he's like, absolutely not. So his answer then is no, and then he expounds on his answer. So verses 3 through 4, he uses baptism as an example to say why we, we are no longer sinning. We no longer stay in sin. Um, and then he talks about our union with Christ in both his death and resurrection. Um, and then he talks, and then he tells us or encourages that that word exhortation, which is one of those words that I always thought was, I never quite understood it. And I'm like, oh, it means encourage us not to, but it's stronger than encourage. It's like, this is how you should be living. Come on, guys. And so, um, but really, there's no other good word to replace it with. Exhortation, so, yeah. So we're not we're not to let sin reign in our lives, and so God is working in us, but we also are working to not sin. And then, um, and then He said, "And sin won't reign because grace is always there." So that's kind of His. That's where we're going. We're going to break it down, talk about each of them. So His question. So remember. Um, where we just came from, Paul, he said, so the question is, so you say that grace abounds in righteousness, so this is Christ's righteousness, which is given to all of us who believe, so we can sin more to get more grace. That's, that's, his, that's his question. And where he's like, by no means, actually means like, let this not be. He's like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Just like a, someone who dies, an alcoholic who dies, no longer struggles with alcoholism. <laughs> this is one of the examples in one of the commentaries. He's like, it's the same as that. He's like, he's no longer living in the flesh. He's living in the spirit. He said, this is the same idea, is that when we die to sin, we identify with Christ in his death, saying that we're no longer going to live in our sin, that we, it shouldn't have that same pull as it did. Okay. I forgot my pillow today. Um, okay. So how can someone dead to sin still be living in it? That's the question that he places back. He's like, no, we're not going to be sinning, continually sinning, so that grace may abound, because we're dead to sin. We're not going to keep sinning, because that's the past. And so then he uses baptism as an example to this. And every time you see, do you not know, or you know, or in this passage, these are the things that Paul is expecting the Roman Christians to understand. Things that are, that are common knowledge for Christians at that time, which I wouldn't say is the same is not common knowledge for Christians today. There are still things that we don't that is not taught, and that your average Christian doesn't no. understand what baptism is, or they don't understand what um, what Christ, Christ's sacrifice, what His death meant for them, or what His what His resurrection meant. And so, these are things that Paul says you should know this, 
but I'm reminding you because it seems like you don't know this. So um, it's kind of like when I talk to my kids and I say, uh, you should know this. We talked about this like eight times last week. <laughs> like, come on. So, um, yeah. All of you have been baptized. All of you that have been baptized. So every person who has been baptized in Christ, everyone that has chosen to, to, that has received the Holy Spirit and have taken that step of baptism are baptized into his death. This is what he's saying. You should know this. As Christians, you are baptized into his death. You don't just get baptized to be in water. You can take a bath if you want to. You don't need to be baptized in front of a group of people and identify with Christ in this way and then continue on in a life of sin. He's like, that's not that's not how it works <laughs> as Christians. It doesn't make sense. Uh-uh. So, it doesn't make sense. So, um, baptism identifies or unifies us in Christ's death. And so the symbol of baptism that we see is that we were we were buried with him. So if we claim Christ, we must also claim his death. So Christ died for our sins. So in the same way that Christ died for our sins, we claim that same death to sin. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um. And so he says we are buried with him in order that Christ, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. So uh, growing up, all of our baptisms at our church, that's how we, every baptism ended was now go and walk in newness of life. Every single one. They're like, okay, you have now... You have said, I'm done with this old life, and now you're going and you're walking with it in a newness, newness of life. And the church says, and we're here to walk beside you. And that is the picture of baptism and the union that we have with him. And so Paul is going to use this idea of baptism, and so we're going to go in and kind of talk about a little bit about baptism, and hopefully it will be a little more clear by the end. So, sorry I didn't get it to... You just have to look at the first one. and I didn't put them up. Everything's on the screen, sorry. (laughs) You worry too much. So, we need to understand baptism in the Old Testament um, was like a cleansing (coughs) and a washing before worship. So that, you know, before they went into the temple, they would go down into these cleansing pools and come back up in order to even enter into the temple. So, like, there was an aspect of cleansing or washing in order to be in front of God. There was an aspect of that. Um, it's also baptism wasn't, was, so, um, okay, oh, now I, I didn't write it down. I should have written it down. Um, Orisius or Osisius, I can't one of the gods, one of the gods of Egypt. Osiris? Osiris, the god of the Nile. So, the Nile. So of the Nile. The god of the Nile. If you were to be his follower, his worshiper, you would be baptized in the Nile. So it was a picture of identification with them. And there was also a kind of a symbolic idea of baptism um, 
of the Israelites while they left Egypt. They had to be baptized. They had to go through the Red Sea in order to actually follow God. And so there is an aspect of baptism that you um, that you find New Testament writers write about Moses and the Israelites going through the Red Sea as a baptism into the people of God. Because um, that's really when the Israelites became God's people was at that time through um, him taking them out of Egypt and then he gave them the law and he said, you are my people. And so that was kind of that baptism into his people. So you, there is some aspects of baptism and, and understanding at the time of baptism um, before the New Testament. So that's something that we need to kind of have an understanding. In the New Testament, there's two different types of baptism that were talked about. Um, one is John's baptism, and that was a baptism of repentance. And it was a cleansing of sins to prepare the way of the Messiah. And so he came before. Jesus' disciples also baptized people into this um, sin, uh, into the baptism of repentance. Um, and so you, you see that, that aspect of, um, of that baptism. But Christ's baptism, which I thought was interesting, is like, don't you recognize that your baptism with Christ is into his death? And when I re- I went back into um, the Gospels and I said, where is Christ referring to his own baptism? His own baptism is always, ref- he's always himself referring to his baptism as his death and resurrection on the cross. And so, um, which I thought was really interesting. So John 10, 38 and 39, he says, he says, don't, you don't understand. Can, can you be baptized in what I'm about to be baptized with? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can. He's like, okay, but you will be baptized at one point in this. What about when Jesus was baptized in the water by John the Baptist, and the Holy and John actually saw the Holy Spirit descend onto Jesus? Yeah, that was that was John. So, did Jesus need the baptism of repentance? No, no, no he so didn't. Much. But. Christ did things out of obedience to the Father, not out of necessity in order to be cleansed. (laughs) So there is that aspect of of Or maybe he did it for another reason, because Jesus didn't do things out of just whimsy. No, he did it out of obedience to God. So, And there was also a symbol that John's message, and John always said, I'm not the Messiah, the Messiah is coming after me. And this was, because even John said, you need to baptize me, I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Christ said, no. And it was showing that, it was showing that Christ to be the Messiah, because John was to come before him. And that was his, that was John's message. I'm here to proclaim that the Messiah is coming. Yeah. And so, yeah, it does. Yeah, even Christ was baptized, and the, and so you just you just see that there is in, there in the Christian life there is repentance involved as well as um, walking forward in life. So you have both both aspects to dying of sin as well as walking forward in Christ's life. So 
And then Luke 12:50, he talks about this baptism that I have to be baptized in, and I am in anguish until this happens. And that's he's referring to his death on the cross at that point. So those are two different things. And so when Christ refers to his own baptism in the New Testament, this is what I found. So baptism in Acts in the epistles, you'll find um, kind of expounds on those things. So first off, in the beginning of Acts, it's, it is um, commanded by Christ to baptize those who believe. So you're like, and in the end of Matthew, so you're like, we are to baptize. We're not supposed, it's, it's something as Christians, we identify with Christ in baptism. Now, you'll find in the, in the Acts, in Acts, it will say, like, these people are to receive the this, this Spirit. Why are we refusing them baptism? So it's, it's not, there's no power in baptism, but there is obedience in it. And it's something that we do as Christians. So they're saying, we already received the Spirit, but we need to walk in this obedience. And so it's, it's really kind of our first step of obedience as a Christian is baptism. So, and it's identifying with Christ, and so it's a symbol of identifying with him in his death and also in his resurrection. With him in his death, meaning we are no longer going to walk in sin, but we're going to, and then um, identifying with him in his resurrection, we're going to walk the way that he did. So, Julianne, Mm -hmm. so are you referring to, when you said Acts, are you referring to like, Chapter 2, where it says, I mean, because you're saying that we receive the Holy Spirit before we're baptized. Is that what you're saying? Um, no, there's a, I didn't write down the passage. There's a passage, it was, um, they were talking about why are they not letting Gentiles be baptized? Because they weren't circumcised. And so they said they've received the Spirit in the same way that the rest of us have received it. And now we're not allowing them to be baptized and we need to let them be baptized. So it's just it's a point to say that the baptism itself you're not receiving God's holy spirit in baptism in the act of baptism but it's a symbol of what God has already done does that make sense so but the way acts 238 reads it sounds to me like that's when you receive the spirit the way it reads where it says Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yours says then. Mm-hmm. Mine says and. Which is just a subtle difference, mm-hmm. but it can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it says then, it does sound like that. But um, in the church I grew up in, this passage was really emphasized. And we did, we were taught that that's when you received the gift of the Holy Spirit is when you were immersed in baptism, you know, that you, and also baptism always very closely followed, you know, deciding to follow Jesus, that you were baptized very soon after Mm -hmm. that, and Mm -hmm. then this passage was pretty emphasized. Mm -hmm. Yep, and I'm not saying that that passage is... Uh, what I'm saying is that we have to take scripture as a whole, not just taking one passage and saying this is the only way it is. So as you look at baptism as a whole and all the passages, and I spent time this week just going through baptism um, passages, 
because I think I've, I've always been kind of like, so when is, was Christ's baptism of the Holy Spirit, or is it of water, like, is it water, do you even need a water baptism, or is it just the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's both, so, but before, um, so just like you said, the Holy Spirit has already been received, these people have already received the Holy Spirit, and now they need to walk, now they need to be baptized. So you have both aspects there. And I think we also need to say, I don't know, um, I have to look at that passage for that word then, but then and and are two very different things. So we have to go back to the Greek and see what it actually says, um, or what is, what is how it would be translated, how it could be translated. But there is no power in baptism, in the act of water baptism. The power comes before, and it's the same thing with circumcision. There was no power in circumcision. It was the, the faith that was there before. It's a symbol of it. Just like there's no power in, in a marriage ring, but it's a symbol of what was already committed. So the commitment that was already there. Can I so. read the passage you're referring to? Yeah. Uh, this is yeah. Acts chapter 10. Um, and I'm just going to start at verse 45. Uh, and it says, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water? for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And it goes on from there. So yeah. that's what she's referring to, that there's this other side of the coin where clearly it's not a, a formula of one follows the other, mm-hmm. um, that in this case, the Holy Spirit came first. Thank you. I have it in my notes, but it's not open, and it's in, like, a folder. It seems to me, Julia, back to Acts 2.38, that it's, it's actually phrases, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. The next phrase, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think those things all fold into Jesus Christ. Yes. Separate from baptism. That's two what? Okay, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is part of believing in Jesus Christ. It's the result of repenting. Another verse that I think talks about that in a little bit different way is First Peter three twenty one that says, "And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ." Hmm. <clears throat> One of my commentaries, it says, baptism is an outward symbol of an inward experience. So at the end of the day, of the day I think is the act of humbleness, of changing in the sin of Jesus. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that important to see at what time you receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That will come anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it is part of the change. It's and part of 
yeah. turning your life to Jesus. And I think this is these are the aspects that we have to recognize that there is repentance involved, a turning away of sin. And there is an act of obedience involved that leads to our sanctification. And so there, these are the three things. And when you look at them throughout with baptism in the New Testament, you're going to find all of them are there in different orders. But they're all there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, and, <clears throat> yeah. So, and I, I understand there are other theologies based off of Especially those two passages. So, um, does that does that equate to why, like, because I'm Catholic, right? Yeah. So, Catholics we baptize the child as newborns, mm-hmm. whereas, like, you know, your church, the Christian church, they wait until the child is of age to say. So, it doesn't mean that. They're not walking with God before then, or so. It, it just so the like the like different so baptism, like in the Catholic Church, the baptism is very different than like baptism that we practice at North. Mm-hmm. So, baptism at North is a is a called believers' baptism. Mm-hmm. So when you come to faith, you are baptized. So the Catholic Church's form of baptism is that there is a grace received, and so there is. They say that when you are baptized, there is power in it, and and that's when you are saved. So, like my, we were at my grandfather's funeral last year, and the priest. There's no record of my grandfather being baptized in the Catholic Church, and the priest could not. He could not state during his funeral that my grandfather was saved. He said, "There's." He said, we don't know if he's in heaven because, because he, hasn't, he wasn't baptized. <laughs> or they and have, can't find the record. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty authoritative. <coughs> so because for, for, for in, the Catholic the, in Catholic theology, baptism is necessary for salvation. Exactly. And so, um, and child baptism was, a, they took, a one for one from from circumcision to to baptism. So there, and there's historical reasons for this also because mm-hmm. when the Catholic Church became part of <clears throat> ruling as part of like so it was not just religion but it was also the rule. <laughs> baptism was a sign of being part of the state wow. as well as part of the church, and so that you see that history that. Even the reformers like Luther and Calvin, they all baptized children because they couldn't. They said, if you choose not to, then you're also not. You're not being baptized into the state mm-hmm. as well as into Christ. So like there citizenship. was like citizenship. Yeah. But like the Bible, is, it was political as well as. Him. But like the Bible is saying that it's not like. Let's. When you get baptized, it doesn't mean that you weren't walking with Christ before, right? No. So usually, usually it's if your first step of walking with Christ, and then you you come to faith in Christ, and then you go. Christ was baptized. These baptism is a symbol of identification with Christ. I must obey and follow in this step. Okay. Um, so that's that's part of it. So you even with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. 
he explains the he explains scripture to him and the eunuch goes there's water right there what's stopping me from being baptized can we go and he went and he went down and he was baptized in the river there and so you see that there was this was i want to obey and this is now where i'm my life is going and so it's that step of obedience um, that kind of first step of obedience and that's why you see it so closely related to repentance and receiving of the Holy Spirit in those things. Well, the other difference too is that in the Catholic Church they don't um, immerse they yeah smell, which is not the same thing as the, the, same symbol. the symbolism of being buried under the water and raised yeah mm-hmm. from, from me I don't I don't really like I Obviously, like when we baptize, we we always do submersion. Um, that's the word in Greek that's used is to submerse, and, and then the the symbol of it. But at the same time, like we had friends that were in Mali and they were baptizing people, and they were standing in a bucket of water and dumping water over their head because that's what they had. They didn't have enough water to submerge someone. So you're like. I yeah. So for me, I go. It's a symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have it's a symbol. So an act. And that's what we don't have yeah. to take out of the picture. That's very important. It's mm-hmm. the symbol. Yeah. It's not how you do it. It's yeah. the yeah. symbol. Is what it represents. Right. right. To your question about well, what if you you know weren't baptized right away? Does that mean yes. that you weren't saved? Because it's a symbol. The answer is no. It doesn't mean that. It, it might mean you were being resistant or rebellious to something. Or it might mean that you were ignorant or unaware. Mm-hmm. You know, there are reasons why you'd be saved and not get baptized right away. But the ideal is yes. respond to God immediately mm-hmm. with this act of obedience. And so, and another thing that I'd like to just state is that this has been a conversation since the early church. Mm-hmm. So, the early church fathers, um, if you've if you've read like Clement, so he was in like the early. Um, like 100 AD, he lived, and um, Polycarp. So these, some of the, they, they discussed and worked through some of the issue, these issues, and so one of them was baptism. If someone is, is saved, and they say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but the early church had some things that they had to do before they would be baptized. They said, if someone dies in that time, Will they be with Christ? And they came down to the conclusion, yes, they will, because baptism is a symbol of following, and so they wanted to leave that period of teaching of what does it really truly mean to follow Christ, and are you really truly committed to this in order to make that symbol of a baptism and say from this point forward and going forward with Christ. And so that, that was like 100 AD that the church was working through it, that's the conclusion they came to. And yeah, so we'll go back to history. But. You know, Juliana, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and um, baptism was considered a sacrament. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, our parents baptized us, they made that choice for us. Mm-hmm. And they felt like when they baptized us, that we had security. Mm-hmm. And we were going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a child, you don't. You have no choice you, in it. Yeah. If you did not get baptized, you weren't going to heaven. Yeah. And uh, gosh, you know, it, it was just mm-hmm. um, 
just something that was inbred. Yeah. You know. And, and that's the, that is the teaching of the Catholic Church. Right. So, so if you don't baptize a child, then right. if the child dies, right. they're not saved. So then that's so carried on from generation But think of the generation. implications of that. So you know you were baptized as a child. Yes. You live your life like however you want. You never come to faith in Christ, and you think you're secure and going to heaven. Well, see, that's that what is we a, have. That's a problem. Well, but then you but have the first church. Because you said, no, there's sacrament. And that's a and problem, too. <laughs> the first, but the, the first communion, I say it go. as, is is like the baptized for us now. Right. Is is your you are making the decision right. to follow in the commitment to follow Jesus. So that was the next I'm not sure if they see it like that. I was growing up yeah. to on the Catholic Church. But that's the way I interpreted the first communion because then is is the child who is saying, Okay, I will right. commit right. my life yes. to mm-hmm. Jesus. That's what I was gonna say too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So baptism covers you until first communion. What's that? Baptism covers you until first communion. Right, right. But even first communion. Okay, so let me ask you this. I mean, even first communion, are you truly saved? Like, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? I did. Because some people are like, okay, I've done my little class, and I'm going to take first communion. We have our check boxers. There are people that are checked boxes. I did everything that I'm supposed to. But I think what we need to recognize is that baptism is a symbol of our union with Christ. And even here, Paul is using it. Hey, even this act of... I'm going to just stop the conversation from this point because we need to move on. But... Um, but but and, and so even if you were baptized as a baby, that was not your profession of faith in Christ. And so that would be something that I would encourage you to rethink. I was baptized as a baby um, into the Methodist Church, and I was, I was re-baptized. So I, I call myself an Anabaptist because <laughs> I was baptized and then re-baptized. So if you, don't, if you know the Anabaptist history, um, so, but I was baptized again when I was 12 because that's when I decided this is what I want. I want to follow Christ. And so that was my, my point. And I was even talking to Eric about it last night. I'm like, I'm like, I don't really remember much about my baptism, like, but I remember standing there. I remember standing in front of the congregation and saying, yes, I follow Christ and I love him. Mm-hmm. And I remember the desire to be baptized. And so I like I go not that I can remember that whole day, but I remember that I remember that act, and I go and that was my obedience to Christ at that time, and I knew it was right at that time. So um, yeah, and so for each of us is different. For some people, twelve, they're like I have absolutely no idea. I'm just doing it because my friend is doing it. So, <laughs> so there are different reasons, but. Anyways. Can I ask quickly? Yeah. Um, when do you receive the Holy Spirit? I, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. I was, so w- the receiving of the Holy Spirit is when God gives you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I can't, for me, I feel like I cannot make a statement like when you're baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit because there are cases in Scripture that the Holy Spirit comes before baptism. There's, whole, there's cases in, in where it's like as you're being baptized, the Holy Spirit comes. And so... All I know is that when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us. And so it's the act of baptism, I would call it, as our first step of obedience as Christians. And so, um, yeah. So, but 
here, Paul is not necessarily using this as a way to explain baptism, but we can't avoid the conversation, so that's why we're here. So he's using baptism as, a, as a, an example of our union with Christ, saying that we are united with him in his death. So the going under the water is a symbol of Christ's burial. The coming up is the symbol of being unified with him in his resurrection. So that we, we identify with Christ in his death, and we identify with Christ in his life. Both aspects. As a Christian, you cannot continue to walk in sin because you identify with Christ in his death, which was defeating of sin. So if you continue to say, I like sin, I'm going to continue in this, then you're not following Christ. Can you sin as a Christian? He will get to this. And yes, you can sin as a Christian. And it doesn't mean that you're not unified with Christ. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in the next couple chapters. So... But it's a symbol of our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Now we're moving on and now taking out baptism and just talking about being united with him. And so four is the connectors, connecting these two ideas, not, not comparing them, just connecting them. So if you are united with him in his likeness, of, in the likeness of his death, and put it, I kind of changed it around. So if you... If you are united with him in the likeness of his death, how much more then will you be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection? And that's what we desire as Christians. We want to be like Christ in his life, not just in his death. There's no point in being connected with his death yeah. unless it's also being connected exactly. with his life. Yes, <laughs> which I don't understand. There's still those people that say that Christ never resurrected and they're Christians and I'm like I don't know I don't know how that works I'm like there's no hope without the resurrection so I'm like I have no desire to be a part of that so but um, and so he says because we are unified with him in his death we are also we will also be unified with him in the likeness of resurrection and he explains in verse 6, he kind of explains how. He said, we know, again, here's that thing, he expects the Roman Christians to know this, that our old self was crucified with Christ. So the old self versus the new self, we can go to 2 Corinthians 5.17 that talks about um, the, the old is gone, the, the old is gone and the new has come. Right. Um, can, I didn't, I left my Bible sitting on the counter at home. Can someone read 1 Corinthians 5.17? You'd think that I would have no problem bringing my Bible to the Bible study, but I have all of my notes in front of me. 1 Corinthians 5.17, sorry. It's one of our memory verses uh, growing up. But. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so he's like, this is something that's known to Christians. This is something we know. The old self has passed away, and the new self has come. And so, again, you have our old self was crucified with Christ. So the the desires of this, the sinful nature 
all of those things have been crucified with Christ. And so that is us being united with Christ in, in death, saying that we are no longer going to identify with our sin. Gosh, every time I use the word identify, it has a whole different meaning in our society today. So. Can I just ask an obvious question? Yeah. That I think, yes. I mean, I just feel like the, there's, um, there seems to be some problems with that, though, because then my, my old self comes up all the time. <laughs> well, we it's not dead. Yep. So how and would you... Is that chapter true? 7. Okay. <laughs> chapter it's 7. It's just like, okay, well, that's nice. But I know that my old self comes up all the time. Yeah, exactly. I know. And even I was like, should I? Because that is the the obvious question. Like, okay, I'm still sinful. So if I've died to sin, but I'm still like, hey, my sin is here. I really feel like if you're a Christian and you continue on in your sin and you'd be like, woohoo, that's a problem. If you struggle with your sin and you're like, why do I keep doing this? That is that is what he's talking about, being dying to sin. So there's that difference between the two. Is it obedience? Obedience. What is obedience? It's obedience, right? We may still have that sinful nature because we live in a broken world. Yeah, but we choose obedience. Yeah, but we choose obedience to Christ. So, um, okay, but we need to we need to continue, or we're never gonna get through. So, um, okay, I knew that we would get sidetracked, but I didn't think it would be this. Long. Okay, verse six. In order that, so we identify with Christ in His death, and the reason why we identify with our with Him in our death, so no, we're no longer slaves to sin. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Really, this brought to nothing means to be totally nullified or to make in, to make ineffective. Um, so, which is kind of an answer to that. It's not yeah. just gone; it's ineffective. There you go. Thanks, Sherry. It's not just gone, but it's ineffective. So, so we're no longer enslaved to sin. No, just like anyone that has been working in one place for a long time and then has to move to work to another place. And it takes a long time to make that transition. That's us in our Christian life. Because we'd be like, well, in there we did it this way. And be like, well, here we don't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, again, now we have another four, meaning that he's continuing on. Um, the one, let me, I feel like we need to read that verse again. Because I cut it apart. Oh, for the one who died has been set free from sin. Right. Is that how that, can you read that verse, verse 7? <coughs> For one who has died has been set free from sin. Oh, okay. So, when we have died with Christ, we've died to sin. The verbs to be, to has been set free is passive also. So it's not something that we actively do, but it's something that's done for us. Um, it's already been done um, it's, and it's also passed. So it's already been done to us. So again, this is that act of justification. And the my, my version just makes it, makes, helps me understand it a little bit better. It just says, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, we're still sin, but that's yeah. like the way it phrases it. 
So the actual Greek says that we are justified from sin. Which I'm like, there's that word justified again that Paul is using. And this is the first time in the book of Romans that he he uses the word. So we use, it gets translated as set free because in our our ideas were justified to something, not justified from something in English, but this idea, he's like, no, you're justified from your sin. And so we're not going to live in it anymore since it's been, you've now, your relationship with sin is now changed. We're not going to continue in it. And our relationship is now justified to God. So it's a shifting from sin to God. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to keep going. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, he keeps saying like, okay, we've died with Christ, and then he explains a little more, and he's like, okay, we've died with Christ, and he explains a little more. So he's like, now if we have died with Christ, so from verses 8 through 11 is really our union with Christ in his life before it was the union with Christ in his death. Now if we've died with Christ, then we believe that we also live with him but we will also live with him. There are two different ways of interpreting this as either it being future tense as eternal life or present tense as a continued relationship with God. And it's ambiguous in the, even in how he worded it in the Greek. So it might be both. <laughs> Sometimes when it's ambiguous, it's meant to be interpreted as both. So um, we are to continue in a relationship with God while we live with him now, and then we will also live with him eternally. So the both the present and the future. Um, we know Paul expects them to, we, again, we know Paul expects them to know this. I keep adding that. Um, Christ's resurrection. Christ cannot die again. Can we read that verse? Can someone read verse 9? We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Christ, res- Christ's death and resurrection was different than Lazarus's death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Lazarus died again, which I go, well, that's horrible. He had to yeah. die twice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. But at least he's resurrected twice, too. My mom says, I can't believe, like, I, if it was Lazarus, it'd be like having to come back to this place, be like, <laughs> I know Anyways. someone that that happened to. She was like depressed for three years <laughs> and having to wow. come back. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a real battle for her. It yeah. happened to me, mm-hmm. and it was tough to adjust to the world again, knowing where. But I, do you have the hope to come? So, <laughs> or the knowledge that it's there. Yeah. And it's waiting for us. So he said, "Our Christ's death is different than that, though. Mm-hmm. So Christ's death, because he, if we go back to chapter uh, five that we just finished, um, he said Christ's death was one for all, right? And he made that case. He explained how that can be. And now he's saying Christ, di- Christ died and his death defeated sin. Um, and death has so death has absolutely no rule or power over him. So even when we look at that aspect of identifying with Christ in his death, that Christ defeated death, and if if it doesn't have power or rule over him, the same for us. So 
So Christ can't die a second time. Um, it's already been finished. Verse 10, can someone read that out loud? For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Mm-hmm. So he has that comparison between the two. So he died to sin, and we are to be we are to become more like Christ. And so if Christ died to sin, then we are also to die to sin. And that's the reason why Paul wrote it in that in that way, is that we are to, if he died to sin, then we also are to be oh, died. Di- he died to sin to, to our, for our sin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All sin. Yeah. So. <clears throat> But his life, he lives to God. So Christ's life now in his resurrection is to God. So not that before his death he didn't live to God because he lived to God before his death. But um, but he's saying this is what we identify as he now is standing at the right hand of the Father. And so we live through Christ. Um, yeah. So verse 11, can someone read that out loud? In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Good. Yay. Now, this is reckon. The word is the word reckon, that you must consider yourself. You must reckon. You must regard yourself as dead to sin. Now, this is our action. He's like, this is what he's encouraging us. He's like, now you have to recognize that you are dead to sin. You don't get to continue in it just so that God gives you more grace. Because God is God will give us grace when we sin. But we need to consider ourselves and we need to regard ourselves as dead to sin. That we don't follow this. We don't continue in this. And if you go if you read first John, again it was like you cannot continue on in sin. You can't continue on in sin as a Christian. And it's like if you sin, you repent and God gives us grace. But we can't continue on in our sin. So God will, and that's where, well, that's the end of the, the chapter. Oh, the end of this section. Okay, we're going to continue. Okay, I'm moving on because we need to. Okay, so he says, I'm comparing these two different things. He, now this is where he's encouraging us, don't let sin reign. This is our actions. He says, you don't choose sin, but you choose to present yourselves to God. So you don't choose sin, you choose obedience and righteousness. So God has justified us, and in our sanctification, God is working through us, but we also choose to work with him. We don't work against him. So you can't just be like, oh yeah, God is going to do this, and be like, God, why aren't you doing this in my life as I'm just sitting on the couch eating potatoes? You know, like, I need to be doing something active also. And so he says, don't let sin reign. Don't be ruled by it. He said, so in your mortal bodies, and and my understanding of that is the present or in the flesh, before you die, don't (coughs) let sin reign where you are. Um, And so that if you let it reign... You'll just obey its passions. Be like, well, I feel like this is right, so I'm going to do it. I've. There was a lady in our church back home, and I, 
and I still remember her going, her husband just became a Christian, and she said, I just, God is working out my divorce. I'm leaving him, and it's, this is, God is doing this. And I'm like, this is what we do, is, this is what ends up happening, is that when we follow the desires of the sinful nature, and we let rain, let sin reign, we go, we even say God is doing this for us, and we're like, no, this is, it's clear that, no, God, God was doing something else, and you've chosen to do something different, and so there are, now that was a very, that was a very blatant example of it, no, I understand there's divorce situations that are different than that, but, um, but you just go, there are times where it's easier to follow the passions of our, of sin instead of presenting ourselves to God because we know it's going to be more difficult. And so um, he says, don't present your members as sin anymore to unrighteousness or to wickedness, but we're going to move on and we're going to move towards God. We're no longer living in these these passions or desires. And that word passions and desires is not just sexual it is also our desires for our title, for our, for Glory, whatever. whatever it, seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins. <laughs> so all of those, like all of those passions that we have. So, but our passions, if they are so part of us, they're innate, they're in, in us, and we don't know their passions because they're so subtle. I mean, what do we do? That's when. That's why we read scripture. So, and that's why we stay. And so, as we read God's truth, the Holy Spirit reveals these things in our lives. And that's why we live in community. That's why the Bible tells us, "Do not, do not forsake meeting with one another, because as you are together with other believers and reading His Word, His truth, the Holy Spirit reveals these things in our lives. And that's why you can't just go to church online." Because that guy doesn't, that guy does not know your life, and so the that pass the pastor can't be like, you can't walk away from your marriage right now because your husband just became a Christian, and what is that going to do? That's going to devastate him, like so that, those truths there. Yes. So you, that's where you need com, you need the community of the body of Christ that builds each other up in life and godliness. Isn't it also that we're supposed to be dependent upon our walk with Christ? We're supposed yeah. to be dependent on God. We're supposed to give up our independence, our self-righteousness, mm-hmm. and become humble before the Lord. Yeah, and so there is an and aspect, and and we continue to grow. So, like if God, if God revealed all of my sin to me when I first got saved. <laughs> Scared you know, life would life would be very hard, and be like, "There's no way I could do this." But the Holy Spirit slowly reveals these things, and is slowly working on our sanctification, and we work with Him with what He's already doing. Okay. Um, so, and He said, "We present ourselves to God as those that have been brought from death to life," meaning we recognize where we came from. And I liked there was that oh, in Ephesians we talked about remember where you came from. Don't forget where you came from because <laughs> you were just like this doing the list, this whole list of awful things. And he's like, you were all there at one point. He's like, but now you are a child of God and don't forget that. 
And he's, those things need to be left behind, not just forgotten, but left behind. So, because if we forget them, then we go back to them. So. Um. So the members, I don't know why he uses that terminology of the members, your members, offer your members to God. He's talking about your whole body. Um, and on, it honestly makes me think of, of Christ when he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, mm-hmm. cut it off and throw it away. That, that's a member of your body. He's like, gouge out your eye. It's better for your eye to be gone than for your whole body to suffer and turn off. So, anyways, so use your body to please and glorify God, not yourself. And then he says this last little, I like this last verse, and he's like, but sin, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And he's like, our sin that we have that comes up is not going to condemn us, but God will show us grace. Does that make sense? And he's like, so when we sin as Christians, we don't beat ourselves up. We bring it to God. We ask for forgiveness, and we move forward. We don't get hung up on our sin as Christians, because God will give us grace. So, there's no way. So this this is kind of one big thought. We don't have to break it down into lots of different things, so we might be able to get through it. So what then are we sin are are we to sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? And he says, by no means. But you know that if you present yourselves if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks to God, thanks be to God that you who are once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. <laughs> For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. And, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the, from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, which is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty awesome. Okay, so what's his question? Yeah, you know, he always asks this question. Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? No. Let it not be so. We should not keep on sinning because we receive grace. I feel like it's the same question he asked before. He's like, but this is a different aspect. He's like, now I'm going to use the example of slavery. We use baptism, now we're using slavery. And he said, did you not know? He expecting them to know it again. If, and I like these if and thens. So he's like, if you present yourselves as an obedient slave, present is the idea of a free offering of oneself, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. And then you are the slaves to the one whom you obey. <laughs> he's like, 
this is kind of a clear, logical explanation. You, you choose to be obedient to something, then you're a slave to that thing that you're choosing to obey to. He said, but you have two options. You can either be slaves to sin, which leads to death, or you can be slaves to righteousness, um, to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So these are two things. And he's, he's moving into obedience because the Christian life is not, a f- I am free to do whatever I wish. We are free from sin. And so this is where he's going into this idea. And he's using the idea of slavery because it was known and distinctly understood. So not as known and distinctly understood in our world because our form of slavery was very different than theirs at that time. Okay, so we have two options. There is no, there's no other option also. I feel like I need to point that out. You, can, you either choose sin or you choose, or you choose God. You don't, there's no in-between. I think, I think it was Dale last week that was like, I didn't realize that we were enemies of God. I'm like, well, there's no other option. You can't just be neutral. So I think sometimes people think, well, I have, I'm now free in Christ. I have all this freedom. But it's, I think I like your point. It's, yes, we have freedom in Christ as long as we are obedient to him. You know, like, we can't be just free, free, free. We have well, to be obedient not, to something. We're not free to yeah. We're slave to something. Yeah, so we're being yeah. freed from, from something, from something. Yeah. to, yeah. and we're being freed to something else. Mm-hmm. Freed, we're being freed from something in freed order to, to be free to follow. Yeah. So there is, because we couldn't follow before. Remember, anything that we tried, we couldn't follow Christ. No matter how hard we tried, we couldn't do it. We were freed from that sin and freed to follow and freed to to obey Christ. So there is a shift. Our freedom is not... Now I can smoke marijuana, you know, like, you know, it's it's a different type of freedom. So, um, and this is where he says, this is where he goes and he says, and this is, I'm thanking God because you were once slaves to sins, but now you are obedient. Now you're free to obey. And he says, you're free to obey, not out of obligation, but from the heart. And so we're no longer we're no longer obligated to follow sin, and we're no longer obligated to try to do all the right things to be obedient to get to God or to make our relationship with Him right. We are free to be obedient from the heart. And it, Jeremiah thirty one thirty three, God says, "I will write these things on their hearts," and and this is the not owed obedience to the letter of the law, but. Um, from the heart. And this is the difference between following a religion and having a relationship with Christ. So we can do all of the things that we're supposed to as a Christian, but if we're doing them out of gaining God's favor, then it's not, that's not what Christianity is. So we do it out of, out of our heart of what Christ has done for us and desiring to be obedient obedient to him. So this is the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, in the hearts of the believers, to desire to obey God. Does that make sense? And then to the standard of teaching which you are committed. This is the this is the teaching of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ or the life of Christ. Um, when Romans was written the um, the gospels weren't 
written down yet, but there was the the oral historical traditions of Christ that were passed that every Christian knew Christ's life. Um, but there were letters written as, as Paul, uh, Luke transcribed of Paul, correct? Yeah, Paul's, Paul's letters were written before those. Oh. Yeah, so... Um, but what he's referring to is the life of Christ, and you can see it throughout as he's talking about even when he refers to Christ's baptism as being in his death. That's how Christ referred to his baptism. So even the, like the, the book of Acts doesn't always refer to it that way. So, um, But having been set free from sin, we become slaves to righteousness. So we move from one, domain, one domain, dominion to another. Um, and then he's like, okay, I'm using, I'm using daily examples for you because I'm not going to try to make it spiritual. I want to use practical examples for you to understand because of your natural limitations. So that's us. And that we have to explain our natural limitations is fun. I'm like, I have to explain this. I'm like, I have to try to figure out what he means by slavery. And I'm like, and he was trying to make it easy for us. But, um... For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and then to, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, because sin leads to more sin. <coughs> That's kind of how it works. Um, lawlessness is the same as wickedness. Uh, he says, now we're going to present our members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And sanctification is holiness or moral purity. Not just to be good, but to become more like Christ. I'm, I have no idea what time it is. Oh, we have, we've got like six, six minutes. Okay, we're going to keep going. Um, so, when you were slaves to sins, you were free in regards to righteousness. So, he's, again, he's, he's kind of explaining. He's like, you are not bound to righteousness when you're slaves to sin. He's like, you didn't, you didn't have to pursue it. You didn't have to think about it. It wasn't even something you considered. No one seeks God. Going back to chapter mm-hmm. three, three. three. <laughs> he's like, no one under, no one seeks God. Everyone was pursuing their own things, and so he's like, he's like, you, you weren't, you were free in from righteousness, but now. You're not. <laughs> now you follow righteousness. So there is this. There is a shift to follow. So if you want to be free from righteousness, you can go back to sin if you want to. That idea. And sometimes it looks nicer, doesn't it? Be like, oh, it looks so much easier. <laughs> you just want to quit and just go back to it. And you're like, no. But then you go like, but what, what hope is there? And then that's where he's saying, he's like, but what hope did you find in that? He said, because sometimes you want to be like, oh, maybe it would be nice to not have to follow God's obedience that leads to righteousness. It would be a lot easier. Can't someone just do it for me? Like, just like, I, I want to, like... I want to know Portuguese, but I just want someone to implant it in my brain. <laughs> but, so, but he, then that's where he says, but what fruit were you getting at that time? Because that's kind of, when he said you were free from righteousness, our brains go, well, maybe I want to go back to that. And he's like, let me explain this to you. Remember, what fruit were you getting? 
He's like, you're just ashamed of all of those things now, aren't you? And he's like, because, and he's like, and the ultimate end of those things, maybe they might, might, my youth pastor growing up, he called sin chocolate-covered dog poop. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's such a good picture of sin, (laughs) because he's like, it's enticing, you want to go back to it, and then you take a bite of it, and it leads to death. You know, it's really what sin is, and he's like, and and you're ashamed that you did it. You'd be like, it was nice when I just licked it, but it was bad when I took a big bite of it. And it's just a real vision, isn't it? I still have chocolate from Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, you can wrap it up and give it to Adam as a joke. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) If he still had the beard. (laughs) He shaved his beard? No way! It's super trim. It's very nice. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, so really oh, I'm, so I'm so happy for you. Anyways, let's get. All right, we have two verses left. No more beard talk. Okay. He's like, so you what? You didn't. You weren't producing anything good, and really, what it only led to was separation and destruction. It didn't lead to anything good. He's like, but now you've been set free from sin to become slaves. This is his summary, and I just kind of broke it down. But now you've been set free from sin, and you're now slaves to God. And the fruit and the fruit that comes from this leads to sanctification, leads to holiness. Um, and the final fruit is eternal life. But you're like, yay, because one day I'm not going to hurt other people with my stupidity and... So, um, and then verse 23, I feel it is a transition verse to the next section, but is also a really good memory verse. Um, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a good summary and a good transition to the next section. Um, Because the, the wages of sin is death, that's what happens with sin, but the gift of God brings eternal life. And so... When you even read that in context of everything, we die to sin and we are alive to Christ, following in obedience because of what he has done for us. And that leads to life. So so these are my application questions for you um, to make it a little easier. Um, Are you united with Christ only in his death? Meaning, do you only identify with him in his death, saying, like, I'll just take his justification, but I don't want to move forward to live with him? (laughs) And one of the commentaries are like, are you stuck in the Red Sea? (laughs) (laughs) Or are you going to work your way across it? Um, Do you want to live to emulate Christ? And then, or do you want to skip the dying to sin part and just gain the benefits of his life? Those are the two aspects of this. And so then we, then we have to ask yourself, who is your master? Are you still slave to sin or a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness? So these are really where you need to say, where am I? Where do I fall in this? And there are areas. What areas in our life are we still slaves to sin? And so ask God to help you 
to obey, not just to obey, but to obey from the heart. So those are the application questions. Their union with Christ.